There are many ways people listen to Vision, including DAB Plus Digital Radio. If you're in Greater Sydney, Melbourne or Brisbane and have a digital radio receiver in your car or home, you'll find Vision Christian Radio on the station list. If you're visiting one of these cities and hiring a car, there's a good chance it will have a DAB receiver and you'll be able to enjoy vision with exceptional sound quality while you drive around. If you don't already own a DAB receiver, you'll find many models, including clock radios at electronic retailers for under $100. To find out more about vision on digital radio and whether you're within the broadcast footprint, see vision.org.au slash DAB. However, and wherever you listen to Vision, you can be sure that the announcers, programs and music will help you look to God daily. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. A conversation about Meghan and Harry and the royal family today. Get ready for an interesting insight as we talk through issues around the royals and how the headlines have developed around the world. There's no doubt that royal watching is a popular pastime for so many Aussies. And when Meghan and Harry appeared in a television interview talking to Oprah Winfrey last week, a number of issues arose that gave insights into tensions and pressures on relationships within the royal family. So it also may be an extra dimension that we'll pick up on today, a perfect lesson, an object lesson of the culture war. There were widely reported issues, as you'll appreciate, and if you've been watching the headlines anywhere, Meghan's revelation that she was at one point suicidal, that there is racism in the royal family because of speculation from one person about maybe Archie's skin colour. And the idea that Meghan and Harry were married in a private ceremony three days before the televised wedding. Well, there were parallels too between what had happened to Harry's mother, Princess Diana, and Meghan Markle, especially when it came to their relationship with the media. Well, in the UK, it's led to the cancelling of outspoken media identity Piers Morgan, who said he didn't believe a word of what Meghan said. In Australia, the airing of Dirty Laundry has drawn calls from former Prime Minister Malcolm Turnbull to sever constitutional ties with the British monarchy. So how might we make sense of developments as Christians amidst some of the concerning global trends that we are often talking about here on this program? Well, our wonderful privilege once again to be able to welcome back to 2020 Dr. Camille Majdali, who leads Teach All Nations. He's joining us live from the UK. Uh, Camille, a very good morning to you because it is very early morning. I think it's about 12.30 your time. Indeed, 12.30, but good morning to Australia. Hey, Camille, let's get into a conversation and uh, we try not to waste a lot of time uh, talking through just the uh, the little issues and get into some big issues because you've been drawing attention in some of your recent blog writings to the idea that there's an object lesson in what has been uncovered with this big interview into the culture war. Uh, what are your thoughts, just uh, perhaps in a broad sense, about how this has developed into something we as Christians ought to be thinking deeply about well thanks for the opportunity Neil the 
Understanding the Times tour with Vision, which commenced in 2015, one of the things we try to point out is if we as Christians don't understand the times, then we won't know what we need to do. And this is straight from 1 Chronicles chapter 12 and verse 32. And so the culture war issue has come up in understanding the times, and it draws a lot of, in my opinion, positive attention. But just remember, this is the second time that British royalty has married an American divorcee. I think memories are very faded about the other time it happened. It was 1936, long before our time, when Edward VIII married Wallace Simpson, and it caused a crisis, which was alleviated when he decided to abdicate from the throne. And of course, nobody wanted to make a comparison between Wallace Simpson and Meghan Markle, who's only only been divorced once, but and Wallace Simpson twice. But that's, in a sense, history repeating itself with the fact that Harry has withdrawn from royal life. Now, uh, of his choosing, and we can't begrudge him of that, but this is, uh, vi- the interesting thing is, unlike 1936, the culture war is everywhere. The, uh, the idea of woke identity politics, intersectionality, privilege, systemic racist narrative, victimology, you name it, it's, it's there. Cultural Marxism, that interview really encapsulated all these things. And I might just add quickly, Neil, that Australia's constitutional arrangements have actually nothing to do with the royal family. It has to do with the queen or the monarch alone. And it's not a British monarchy Australia has. It's actually an Australian crown. Interestingly, the night before the interview was aired, there was a statement that the Queen made, uh, which was uh, on the Commonwealth. I think it was Commonwealth Day, just uh, from memory on that. it was. And her call was for unity. And I wonder whether... Uh, the royal family, the Queen herself, uh, was very aware that what was about to be unleashed on the world, a bombshell interview, uh, would be something that could potentially cause division. Uh, do you have any thoughts around that, Camille? Uh, the interesting thing is the interview was aired both when the Queen had a long pre-planned Commonwealth Day message But it also happened when Harry's grandfather, Prince Philip, was lying in hospital on the eve of his 100th birthday. And this, or both these things, were not lost on many people, that the timing of it was really explosive. It probably would have been nice to have at least delayed a few days to get away from the Queen's Commonwealth Day or to let Philip get out of the hospital, but no, the interview had to go on. Camille, let's talk about the interview before we get into some of these other nitty-gritty issues around culture wars and such things because I know there's been all sorts of reporting and conversation around how a Christian responds when someone offers the thought that they were suicidal. 
there is certainly something that needs to be, uh, that draws at our own heartstrings, that has compassion for uh, those sorts of issues when they arise. I wonder whether uh, you had any thoughts, uh, you know, were understanding those things that came out in the interview. Uh, when someone says this was what it was like when I was in the royal household, uh, I was at a point where I was suicidal. Uh, we do, by necessity, need to take some level of compassion when someone uh, offers that sort of thought, don't we? We, of course, always need to take compassion when somebody is suffering from mental illness or when they say they're suicidal. We, we don't, how should we say it, we, we don't take it lightly. At the same time, and I'm no expert on this, there are different levels of mental illness and, of course, suicidal thoughts. We basically have a situation where the Duchess of Sussex said she was suicidal because of the various issues she says or claims were her experience in the royal family. I find it a little difficult to take the notion that she didn't know what she was getting into. I mean, she's, look, she's an intelligent woman. I'm sure she had done her homework before she uh, came together with Harry, even though she claimed she didn't know how to curtsy and she didn't know how to sing the national anthem and all that. But I guess it would be very hard to learn. So I think we have to balance it. We don't want to be manipulated, Neil, by people saying things that, uh, well, there is a degree of truth to it, but it doesn't tell the whole story. And one of the things that is extremely important in any issue is that there's more than one side to a story. The thing for the royals is they live under the queen's mantle of don't complain and don't explain. So it's not going to be easy to get their side of the story, even though reports say Prince Charles would dearly love to tell his side of the story and refute Meghan's claims one by one. Well, uh, there are all sorts of claims that were made, and no doubt we won't have time to explore all of those in minute. However, there's some other big ones. Just to mention, uh, early in our conversation, Camille, uh, when Megan suggested uh, that there were concerns from some members or a member of the royal family about her fu future uh, child's skin colour, and the idea that that represents racism. Uh, any thoughts here uh, before we get into some other issues around race? But, uh, but this idea of, you know, if someone does make that sort of comment, is that a racist thing? It really depends, Neil. But the fact that it was even brought up at all is concerning. Because one of the things the monarchy has tried to do was, is to lead ceremonially, but still, it leads the Commonwealth, 54 nations in voluntary cooperation, one with an, on an equal footing, representing many races. This is probably the Queen's finest achievement in nearly 70 years of public service, is being the titular head of the Commonwealth. And it's a let's say it's so popular that even there's countries like Mozambique that have never been part of the British Empire that couldn't wait to join the Commonwealth. Now, to accuse the head of the Commonwealth of racism is a very serious thing. And I might just quickly add, where's Harry in all this? Harry is front and center because nobody said this to Megan. This is a royal speaking to Harry. Now, 
there could be more than one take on that. Anywhere from a, a genuinely racist statement to something like, oh, wouldn't it be nice for a different shade of royalty kind of thing, which is not racist. What I, I cannot believe is that Harry would run and tell Megan a comment when she was struggling, when she's pregnant, when she's emotional, I have a maxim. If a person's neither part of the problem or the solution, don't involve them. This was not something I think any thinking husband would do to his wife in her tender state. Now it's been used as a weapon to bludgeon the monarchy as if it were racist, which I would highly contend it is not. And Camille, the fact that no name is attached to the racist comment means that the whole family is tainted. I wonder whether... uh you have a thought or two around the idea that if there were a name attached, at least uh, one person could be called out uh, on an issue and then they could then uh, have an opportunity to respond. But if no name is ever mentioned, no name is ventured, the whole family is tainted with a racist uh, banner. Uh, what sort of your thoughts here as, as to whether uh, uh, the whole family is affected because a name is not being mentioned? In the politics of woke, which is part of what we're seeing, it, it probably serves their purpose to keep it ambiguous. Now, they were thought that Harry said, oh, I will never mention this conversation, to which I'm thinking, well, why did you mention it to Megan in the first place? Why did you involve her? Yes, it's her child and all that, but it sometimes people say things that it may be insensitive, but it's not malicious. And trying to taint the whole monarchy with the term of racism is a very serious accusation, especially in today's atmosphere, especially in today. Two or three years ago, it wouldn't have been as potent. So attaching a name, I don't know, but in an age of cancel culture, it's going to be very difficult to cancel out a royal. They can get demoted. They can be taken kind of off the scene like Prince Andrew, but I mean, they're, they're born into it. So uh, I, I'm not sure how helpful it would be to name names and, and cause more upset. Th that's the problem. One of the great British actresses said she wasn't going to watch the interview because it was spreading hate. As it turned out, she ended up watching anyway. We all got sucked into it one way or another, but that's the concern. It's spreading hate. We need not be. That other issue I mentioned in our introduction today, Camille, the idea that Meghan and Harry uh, were married in a private ceremony three days before the televised wedding, uh, that, of course, has been refuted, and uh, people have called that out and said that just isn't true. Uh, uh, you know, what, are the, what have you seen in the headlines there from your home in the UK and, uh, you know, uh, the, the accuracy of those and people being divided across the nation? What are your thoughts? Well, it has caused division in the nation and a lot of anger. What I was very curious about, it doesn't surprise me that people are talking and everyone has an opinion and every one of those opinions is emotive. What surprises me are the Americans who have absolutely no royal traditions in 1776 and claim they can understand this silly institution of the monarchy, but they're just as vocal and emotive as the people here in the United Kingdom. So 
don't the one thing you can say for sure the british monarchy is not losing its appeal or its center of attention anytime soon it i i'm amazed how much the americans know about this particular thing whereas they're not always so au fait about international affairs in general so uh Everyone has an opinion, and in fact, my son-in-law who's here, he says, let's not even discuss it since we all are on the same page, and his mother's on the same page, so there's, there's nothing to discuss. We all feel the same way about how this has gone. But I think the other thing, if the story of the, the second wedding three days before is not correct, then I do think checking facts is important. But when you have victimology, checking facts is not required and in some cases it's viewed as being insensitive if not racist because you're checking the facts of any any kind of statement even those that have nothing to do with race helping you make sense of life culture and current events from a biblical perspective 2020 on vision our conversation today is about Meghan and Harry and their tell-all interview with Oprah Winfrey that aired last week. It's had a huge effect around the world. The headlines are dominated by issues and all sorts of sideline things that people are coming out with in commentary about this and the way that whole nations are affected Camille Majdali is our special guest. He leads Teach All Nations. He's stayed up late. It's past midnight in the UK and talking to us live today. Our talkback line open on 1-800-316-316. You can respond to that Facebook question. As a Christian, how do you feel about the royal family after Meghan and Harry's tell-all Oprah interview? Uh, this is such a huge topic, bigger than you can imagine, Camille. Well, absolutely it is. We're talking about the monarchy and the monarchy is very symbolic but never underestimate the power of symbols it it represents history heritage cultural constitutional arrangement western civilization itself when you see the queen who is very remarkable not just because she's nearly 95 but the prime ministers and world leaders she has dealt with and the history she has lived through like the second world war and the Nazi blitzkrieg of Britain 80 years ago. It's, it's, it's phenomenal. So whenever you talk about this topic, there's more behind it than any one individual, including the Queen herself. That's why the international implications are enormous. And that's also why we as Christians, we need to have a passion for the truth. In the culture war, narrative reigns supreme, but it must not. Truth is more important than narrative. We must never forget that. And we talk about truth, we can talk about language, we can talk about semantics, because words are the things that communicate, and what we communicate builds the culture around us. And uh, the words have been changing, Camille. Uh, I know listeners will have heard you use that word woke a number of times. I wonder if you've got some insight here into how our listeners today, as Christian believers, might understand that sort of terminology. Well, first of all, I'm going to be a little cheeky here. I want to thank Pastor Bill, and I mean it sincerely, Pastor Bill in Kalgoorlie, because he's the one. I Think of it, Neil. I had to go to Kalgoorlie, Western Australia, on one of the Understand the Time tours, and he taught me at first time about woke. I mean, I heard of it, but I never thought much of it. 
And of course, I, I'm a, a, I try to be a good student and learn my terms. But I, think of the irony, probably one of the most remote places you could ever go to, and you learn about this phenomenon of woke in the culture war. But what it really means is somebody who is alerted to an injustice, especially racism, and once they're alerted to it, it's like they were Rip Van Winkle sleeping a long time, and now they wake up. They are woke. And they often get angry, excitable, emotional. I still remember the story of a mother, Christian mother, sending her Christian son to a university. She comes from a regional area. He goes to the big city. And within six weeks, this guy, he's 18, he's woke. He's angry at the patriarchy. He's angry at the racism. He's angry at the climate change. He's, and he's lecturing his parents about all these things. And unfortunately, he stops going to church as well, which I think there was a connection. So Prince Harry definitely has gone woke because he's accusing the Commonwealth, not the British Empire, but the Commonwealth, which he's probably confusing the two, of racism. And of course, that's as laughable as anything because, of course, 54 countries of all kinds of different races on an equal footing working together. Okay, we're taking calls on 1-800-316-316. Let's hear from Tess in Esperance in Western Australia. Hello, Tess. Welcome along. Hi. Hi, Tess. Hi. Um, oh, look, I didn't even know that Megan was a different shade. <laughs> anyway, is she? Like, seriously, um, call me ignorant, but um, I don't know about everyone else in the world, but isn't there enough going on that... You know, we don't have to put our nose in every little thing. And I personally didn't really like school growing up because it was there was so much um, narkiness and, you know, gossip and things like that. And I thought I'd left the school grounds for good. But at this day and age, I see more and more just this schoolyard behaviour of I'm offended and I'm going to, you know, gossip about this and that. So, yeah. <laughs> Tess, uh, I think it's wonderful to hear you saying your own perspective is colour blind, but you're noticing in the schoolyard uh, people getting offended over these sorts of issues. Camille, your thoughts for Tess? Okay, well, first of all, God bless you, Tess, and uh, I do vaguely remember Esperance on one of my tours. But anyway, as far as there, the schoolyard thing is a very apropos metaphor here because what's happening in our culture war situation and victimology as well is that people are getting offended which is actually not the mark of maturity little children get offended emotionally immature people get offended people who have a chip on the shoulder get offended now look there's plenty of things in this world to get offended but can i just say as christians i'm not talking about someone in the world as christians we must neither be offensive and we must not get offended because actually the bottom line with offendedness is unforgiveness. And if we are unforgiving, we're in danger of not being forgiven ourselves by the Lord himself. That's not my words, that's his words. So if we want to be in a state of reconciliation with God and people, we must not be offended. As far as Megan being a person of color 
I believe, and I'm not sure on the facts of it, when she was on television, the Suits program, I'm pretty sure she wasn't known as mixed race. I think they just thought she was white like everyone else, and that the mixed race thing came more since she came together with Harry and they were engaged. And look, we won't in any way criticize that or deny it, but the, the truth is some people are more obvious in their racial constitution than others. We, we should be really post-racial, and that was the promise of the Obama administration in the United States, a post-racial America. But please note, we've become more racially conscious than ever before, and I think that's deliberate as well. Tess in Esperance in WA, thank you so much for your call. Our talkback line is open on 1-800-316-316. Interesting point just to before we take another call, Camille, uh, that when we're talking about royal families, the lineage is important and uh, which uh, races are there in the background all of a sudden come to the fore and become quite important. Uh, what are your thoughts about, uh, about royal families and uh, racial heritage? Well, good question. There is an issue of lineage. And, and remember, royal families in Europe over the centuries married within each other. Now, it wasn't an issue perhaps so much as white, but it still was two different nationalities with different heritages, different languages, different what have you, coming together. Think that the the grand villain of the Great War, Kaiser Wilhelm II. He's a German Kaiser, right? He's the grandson, the oldest grandson of Queen Victoria. I mean, I find that staggering <laughs> because Britain and Germany are fighting each other and it was two royal houses together. So the racial as opposed, you know, European monarchies marrying each other may not seem like a big deal today, but it was a big deal. It's actually trying to bring countries together. Spain and Austria were brought together by a dynasty called the Habsburgs, for example. So it is an issue, but I would say, if anything, the British royal family would have been how should you say? I think they've been very accepting, from what I could tell. I mean, I'm not there in the palace to hear the comments, but they went out of their way to welcome Meghan, as far as I can see. And the Queen herself did things for Meghan she didn't even do for her own grandchildren, like take her on the grand train ride overnight and things of that sort. So I think they would have looked at it more like we would today, the blending of different cultures as, as a part of maturing. Okay. of the institution. Not long out from news, let's take another call. Maureen is on the line from Longford in Tasmania. Hello, Maureen. Welcome. Hello. Thank you for taking my call. Need to be quick, Maureen. Um, what are your thinking, thoughts? If colour was mentioned by somebody in the royal family, it could have been meant very kindly to warn her that maybe she could have a very uh, dark-coloured child. Um, my daughter is married to somebody from Costa Rica and they have one very white child and one very beautiful cappuccino coloured. And some people do not realise that they could have, um, could be what they call a throwback to many generations. And it could have been meant very kindly just to warn her that um, what 
could have been ahead and their their next child may well be have a lot of colour. Good thought, Maureen. Uh, Camille, a thought for Maureen? Uh, just uh, about a minute away from uh, needing to go to news. Sure, Maureen, thank you for your comments and very gracious comments, I might say. Look, the statement in itself could be very harmless. It really depends on the context, but the point is we're not going to ever find out because of the nature of the institution. Not because they're deliberately trying to cover up some terrible thing, but because they just don't complain and they don't explain. So I believe it's always best, as Christians now, to give the benefit of the doubt and to realize it's a different world within palace walls, but it's a institution dedicated to public service, and we don't need incendiary hand grenades or accusations of racism over what could very well have been an innocent comment. Maureen from Longford in Tasmania, thank you so much for your call. Our talkback line open on 1-800-316-316. You might like to have your say today. Camille, it might be wise for us to take another call before we go any further. Let's hear from Jackie in Daisy Hill in Queensland. Jackie, a special welcome along. Hi, thank you for having me. Jackie, what are your thoughts? Um, I think my perspective of the family hasn't changed. I haven't been... Um, I'm not particularly a fan of the royal family. I think that they are a royal family and among other many royal families, it's not something that I keep um, tabs on. But um, I suppose... What they have done, like in regards to Prince Harry and um, Prince Meghan, is they've opened up um, a can of worms that have shed a light on um, topics that have been been kind of unaggressively been talked about before they opened the can of worms about racism and how she was being portrayed, and then they've gone and done this interview and then they've made it front page news again. Um, They certainly have shone a light, Jackie. Uh, Let's get a thought or two from Camille on the idea of shining a light onto these issues that up until now perhaps were a little hidden behind the scenes. Well, again, I am a firm believer in getting the whole picture on any given issue, particularly when it's controversial and uh, the like, even uh, incendiary, as the accusation of racism is. The issue we're looking at with racism is uh, it's we're trying so hard, I think, as a civilization to go beyond race and that everybody has equal opportunity and everybody can have, a, as you say in Australia, a fair go. With the royal family, which is an institution that's both mysterious, but it's all too public. It's, I mean, their lives are really not all their own. With all that, it's going to be very difficult to get the whole story because of who they are, not because it's necessarily just cover-ups. It's because there's a whole side to their existence dedicated to public service, they don't have opinions, they can't belong to a political party, they don't vote, they have to stay above the fray. 
So I would just say, as Christians, as people dedicated to truth and love, we really need to get the whole story and to make a judgment on one interview, which had its own agenda, would be grossly and manifestly unfair, and it would be a distortion of the reality that I believe God wants us to have. And so I think it's more important to focus on principles in this case, rather than on personalities. And remember, there is a bigger picture we as believers need to attain to, and that's not just a British royal family, but the kingdom of God, where Jesus is our forever king, and we will be with him forever as well. Jackie from Daisy Hill, thank you so much for your call. 1-800-316-316 to have your say. Uh, Interesting, on the tone of listeners who've called in so far and offered their thoughts, Camille, uh, measured, uh, gentle, uh, even, uh, you know, uh, courteous, but in the UK, what is it like with people and their jealousy for de- defending the monarchy or or their jealousy for defending uh, Meghan and Harry? What are your thoughts on the, the level of passion that you've observed in the UK? Well, I would say the kettle is truly boiling, Neil, <laughs> when it comes to this topic. As I shared earlier, I have noted that our callers thus far have been amazingly calm, about as calm as we could get. It's not been that way in the UK. Everybody has an opinion. Not everybody, I mean, let's put it this way. On a YouGov poll, Harry, for the first time in history, got more disapproval than approval. 48% disapproval to 45% approval. And Megan got 58% unfavorable and 31% favorable after the Oprah interview. However, with young Brits, 18 to 24, Megan gets 55% versus 32%. But listen to this, over 65-year-olds, Megan gets an 83% disapproval rating because they see it as an attack on an institution that they've become one and the same for Britain. Now, there was one very outspoken media identity, Piers Morgan, who stormed off his morning television program and uh, and uh, people are saying he was cancelled. Uh, you know, did he quit? Uh, was he pushed? I mean, what are the headlines saying there? But, but he would be one example of someone who is a passionate defender of the monarchy who comes under attack because he's pointing out that these woke issues in the Sussexes are coming to the fore. Uh, what are your thoughts for the way people are treated when they take one side or the other? Well, I, Piers Morgan is very outspoken, and he's been anti-Megan for a while. Or l- let me put it this way, anti-Megan Strong. He's been a critic of the Duchess because of, you know, she basically tells a story that's to create victimhood and sympathy, and he's not buying into it. Neither did Donald Trump either buy into it. And of course, when you go against that, you can be accused of misogyny, racism, sexism, all the all the rest. But these guys, uh, it's like Piers Morgan. I understand there was a petition, and two hundred thousand people said he should be reinstated on Good Morning Britain. He doesn't. He he will not go away quietly, and I don't think you'll see the last of Piers Morgan, whether he's reinstated or not. But the British people 
are very stoic at times, but, you know, they do have hot blood in their veins too. And I think this issue has clearly brought that out. Taking calls, 1-800-316-316. Let's hear from Carol in New South Wales. Hello, Carol. Welcome. Yes, good morning. God bless you both. And um, from a Christian point of view, I think we must have not our own opinion, but our opinion is uh, crucified on the cross with Christ, and we are to be resurrected into the word of the living God who changes the way we think and act towards people that we must be Christ-like, and we must suffer injustices ourselves sometimes. And I believe that if you've got ought against somebody, the Bible says to go to your brother and show him his fault privately between you and him alone and make peace. So I think uh, from a Christian point of view, and then if, you, if your brother listens, you've won your brother. If not, you bring someone else into it. However, if they're still going to be rebellious, you just pray about it and then ask the Lord to change their hearts. Good thoughts there, Carol. Uh, Camille, your response there for Carol? Well, with all sincerity, Carol, that is a great sermon you've just given in miniature. And I think that is something we should all highlight. Now, remember something. Harry and Megan are officially Christian. And Megan actually converted, if I can use that term, to the Church of England before she married Harry, apparently of her own volition. I think it's of the utmost importance that we, especially in times of division and contention, that we let our voices be heard for love of God, for genuine unity, for forgiveness, something that is sorely lacking in this whole culture war issue, and some maturity, like taking personal responsibility rather than blaming everyone else for why you do what you do. So I appreciate those thoughts, and uh, thank you, and God bless you. Carol from New South Wales, thank you for your call. 1-800-316-316. We'll take some more calls in just a few moments, but let's just pause for a moment here and talk about the Christianity of the royal family, and you might have your own thoughts here Camille, but the Queen has been the ultimate uh, uh, one who is as the defender of the Church of England, uh, a defender of faith and so open uh, with her own Christianity. I suspect that uh, she has set a, a big pair of shoes to, for others to live up to when, the, when they fill those shoes. Any thoughts here on the Christian nature of the monarchy and, and the Queen in, in particular? Well, as far as the individuals in the royal family, their commitment to Christ varies. We And only God knows the heart. So I'm not going to stand in judgment of any one person, although uh, some of them appear to be more Christian than others. The institution itself is a Christian institution. And the coronation service, and of course we haven't seen one of those for almost 70 years, but the coronation service is very much a Christian anointing service. So the institution is highly Christian, as is Western civilization. Western civilization is known for not just its Greco-Roman heritage and history, but its Judeo-Christian ethics, values, and 
faith. And in a culture war where you have a lot of cultural Marxists, the last thing they want is something that smacks of Christian. So the monarchy makes a very large target because of that association. Now, they don't always say it, and in fact, oftentimes they don't mention the Christian side, but it's clearly there, the anti-Christian bias, I should say, in the culture war by what the institution represents. The queen is usually credited for being a serious and sincere Christian, but even if the monarch wasn't so, the institution is. And uh, I believe that's part of the reason it's under attack, because in a when they talk about cultural Marxism, the cultural Marxists, like the regular economic Marxists, they don't want fidelity to family, they don't want fidelity to faith, and they really don't want fidelity to the nation-state either, because all these things actually enhance freedom, and they have a Christian underpinning. They want to change the allegiance from those things of nation-state, family, and the church into a, more of a utopian vision that is secular and is humanist. So when you have a couple like Meghan and Harry, and as you were indicating in the first part of our conversation, Camille, uh, when they go woke, uh, there is all of a sudden then an opportunity for those who are, we might even describe as anti-Christian forces, those cultural Marxists, uh, to then have the monarchy in their sights. Do you think that this has created uh, this sort of uh, opportunity for anti-Christians uh, to be able to then attack the monarchy because of the connections with uh, the colonialism and the idea that that's uh, you know the cause of uh, of all sorts of issues around race and uh, challenging times of the past. Any thoughts there on on the, the fact that when you have uh, a rogue uh, couple uh, who are then ready to attack their own heritage, it gives everyone else who's anti-Christian an opportunity to join in the battle. I couldn't agree more, Neil, than with what you just said. I believe it's exactly what has been happening. The fact that Mr. Turnbull brought up the Republic yet again, remember, he was the leader of the Australian Republican movement. He led us into a referendum it cost a $100 million referendum to make a constitutional change, which was not small. It was massive. But not a few, many people did their homework on it. I did, actually. Coming from the United States, <laughs> as I did, and steeped in republicanism, I felt uniquely, in this case, qualified to comment. And after all my study, I came solidly for Australia's current constitutional arrangements, because it's just delivered so much success to Australia. Very, very, uh, shall we say, tranquil domestic history. So I would say now, updating it to 2021, it does give people who are anti the monarchy anyway, and what it stands for, constitution and otherwise, an excuse to say it's a bad institution, because the accusation wasn't just on racism. It was also on falsehood. They, they lie, and they're not telling the truth. And so that's a pretty serious accusation as well, even though racism is much more of a, shall we call it, a hand grenade being lobbed at the monarchy. Uh, taking calls, 1-800-316-316. Let's see if we can get through some calls quickly here. Deborah is in northern New South Wales. Hi, Deborah. 
No, I'm actually in Northern WA. Oh, Northern W, Northam in WA. Okay, <laughs> sorry about that, Deborah. Yes. What are your thoughts? Um, I've come across racism in my life myself um, because of um, my um, ancestors um, in in my bloodline, and I if if I stay in the sun, I either go very dark. Or um, I uh, blister, and because of um, I've got Spanish background in my family, and I grew up in the Kimberleys, where um, I didn't see skin colour because I actually had an indigenous nanny, um, and I was born in the late fifties, and my parents um, worked on cattle stations. And I've come to the city in the 90s and um, started going out with someone and uh, his mother turned around and asked him privately, does she have Aboriginal in her? So I can understand and also um, I was in, I just got divorced five years period, period to that and I've got children um, I can understand from a mother's point of view with Megan, but um, all the other, what I call garbage that's going on with the media, um, I think it's uncalled for. Deborah, you've made some pretty strong and good points in there. Uh, Camille, a quick response for Deborah? Well, Deborah, thank you for your comments and sharing so candidly as you have. There is a major distinction between everyday insensitive racist comments and institutional or what they're now calling systemic racism. Massive difference. Because yes, there are people out there, they are race conscious and they can be derisive as well and talk about race. That That's human nature. But I believe open racism, bold-faced Racism, as was the case many years ago, is just not tolerated in society today. It's just not. Uh, I, I know for a fact it's not. But to keep the grievances going, there has to be this narrative of systemic racism. It's inbuilt in the system. And the problem with that is it's just, in my opinion, in most cases, not true. Especially when you see the great progress that is made on race, whether it's Australia, whether it's Britain, or the United States. I mean, the United States has got a very <laughs> impressive record of rectifying racial injustice over the years. And if you say systemic racism, it's like saying Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. didn't exist, that the Civil Rights Act didn't exist, that Lincoln freeing the slaves didn't exist, because it's still in the system. And so it's something that needs to be looked at and addressed courageously in the coming days because we as Christians, above all people, need to demand nothing less than the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. 
Deborah from Northam in WA, thank you so much for your call. And time's almost running out here, Camille. But I wonder whether we might just spend the last couple of minutes reflecting on perhaps a biblical foundation for where a Christian might stand when it comes to issues like race, racism, because there's a number of instances we might be able to identify in the Bible that would shed light on the idea that as one in Christ, that some of these differences, whether rich or poor, whichever racial background, these sorts of things make very little difference as a Christian believer. What are your thoughts on the strength that we have in our own Christian biblical foundation uh, to be able to address these sorts of issues? Well, as we grow in knowledge of who we are in Christ, of God's Word being led and filled by the Holy Spirit, we should be the great unifiers. The Christian church globally is the most diverse and ethnically celebrated entity, I believe, on the face of the earth. We are one in Christ. Remember in the Bible, especially in the New Testament, there was the issue of Jew versus Gentile, which is no less an inflammatory (laughs) racial thing back then as racism would be today. And they learned to find common ground because of Christ. That's why Paul writes there's neither Jew nor Greek, bond or free, male or female. Galatians is uh, very clear on that. So, remember, we go to our churches when we will be attending churches properly again, and not in the UK, no, in Australia, you're back to almost full speed. But just take a look, especially of our big city churches. You have various races co-mingling together, one in Christ, worshipping the same Savior. It's, it's a wonderful thing to see. And so, we need to be reconcilers people that stand on God's truth, which is the only truth worth knowing, and people who are filled with God's love. What a wonderful antidote to the division and hatred that is out there in society today. Well, Camille, our time is up. And I did mention a little earlier uh, the Understanding the Times tours that so many listeners may have had access to over many years now. Uh, No doubt you've got itchy feet and you'd love to get back to another Understanding the Times tour. Is there any likelihood of any plan in place for perhaps later this year? Well, the Prime Minister said that nothing is going to change vis-a-vis travel in 2021. Qantas is putting pressure to be otherwise. But like we did in 2020, if there is not a physical tour, we will do it online. And we're looking at the topic of reset or revival. Do we want a reset or do we want a revival? Because, Neil, we actually have a choice in this one. And that's what I'll be talking about this year, whether it's virtually or in person. Okay. Dr. Camille Majdali, his website is tan.org.au, Teach All Nations. And of course, he's written numerous books. You can find some of those in the Vision Store, vision.org.au. You can also, when you go to the tan.org.au website, you can subscribe to Camille's newsletter, the Issachar Teaching E Letter.
and uh, take advantage of some of those teaching uh, resources that are available. tan.org.au. We'll look forward to an Understanding the Times either tour or a a virtual opportunity to have an event and talking about reset or revival. Dr. Camille Majdali, who leads Teach All Nations. Camille, thanks for staying up late and uh, thanks for a great contribution once again today on 2020. Thank you, Neil, and God bless Australia. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.